Welcome to Weston's Sermon Podcast of the Week. We're so glad you joined us today. If you've been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com slash give. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. That was quite the intro. Um, I'm working on being a man of God, and I kind of like to play music sometimes, so I guess a couple of those things are true, but no, I'm kidding. It's great to be here this morning, and I'm, I'm honored that uh, Pastor John invited me uh, to be back with you. And you know what the funny thing is? I haven't actually preached in six months. It's been six months since I've had the opportunity to preach, and um, let me tell you why. Um, back this September, uh, actually about the end of August, the Lord really started speaking to my wife and I about a new season that was coming. And um, here's what I've learned about following God and, and asking him about when seasons begin and when they end. When he begins to prompt you about a season that is closing, uh, he is going to get you to close it one way or the other. Either you're going to voluntarily close it or he's going to close it for you. And we have learned in the past that it's always much better when we step out and say, all right, God, we'll be obedient. It took us a few months, but we said, all right, Lord, we'll be obedient. And we left our jobs as pastors. We, uh, my wife and I, um, Kyla, she's here this morning. Our kids um, are here as well with us. And we've been in ministry together, uh, well, since we were dating and then when we were engaged and for seven years of marriage now. And uh, I've been a young adults pastor for about almost 10 years now, I guess, I've been in that ministry. And, uh, you know, it, it's a lot of what I've known. But this September, the Lord said, I, I want you to close that chapter, and it's coming to an end. So we said, okay, we'll do that. And so we had a, a great farewell at our church, and um, when everyone, um, and then we did what we know how to do best. Uh, we went down to Florida for about three weeks uh, with our family and just said, all right, Lord, what's next? We're, we're just a blank slate. We spent all of September just saying, Lord, we are a blank slate. Whatever you want us to do, we will do. And it was really kind of awkward sometimes because people will go, oh, I heard you've moved on from, from your church. I, I hear you're not pastoring anymore. So, so where are you pastoring now? And I said, well, well nowhere. Well, where are you working now? Also nowhere. Um, well, well, what's your plan? I, I, I'm waiting on the Lord. And, and that, that works really good when you read about it in the Bible, but it's a little bit scary when it's you walking through that journey. It's a little bit scary when um, you explain that to your in-laws as well, what your plans are, and that your plan is that you're waiting on the Lord. And since then... Um, God's done some crazy things in our lives. He's opened up some doors that, um, that truthfully, I didn't expect to have opened. And um, I've always done music on the side. It's always been a passion of mine. But I've always said, no, I'm a pastor first and a musician second. And back this fall, the Lord began, op began opening some doors. And um, I've been touring full time to and from Nashville, working on a new album as well as writing. And um, I'm getting ready to head back out on tour again um, next month. Actually, we're going to be in Vaughn doing a concert uh, just up the road uh, with an artist called Love and the Outcome. We're going to be here in March, and so I'll be out on tour with them. So stay posted for that. But um, the Lord's been opening some incredible, incredible doors, and we've been walking this journey of faith. And, and the crazy thing about when you decide to walk out in faith, you begin to see God move in ways that you only begin to see when you're desperate. Because here's what I know. Faith is the key to unlock the goodness of God. 
Faith is like the, the, the token you put into the vending machine that vends the goodness of God out to you. Without faith, you cannot see the fullness of what God has for you. And we've been walking this journey of faith. And I remember, let me, can I tell you a, a quick testimony? Because I believe testimony stirs faith. And we're going to talk a little bit about faith and all that stuff this morning. We were, um, I just started this tour uh, that we are out on in November. And uh, all these prophetic words were coming to me. And, and I love when people begin to speak prophetically to you. Because I think sometimes there's this mystery around prophetic words. Really all they are doing is affirming what God is saying. Because sometimes we're not always hearing God clearly. And sometimes we need somebody on this earth to confirm what God is saying. So we had all these words about how God was going to use music in this ministry for us. And we go, that's awesome in principle. But we have this thing that happens every month that you cannot put on a credit card, that you cannot defer another month, and that is called the price of a home. There's that thing that we can live on faith all we want, but when February 1st comes, there's a debit that comes out of our account, and I would love to say that we've got lots of space for that, but that's not always the case. So my wife said, we were saying, that's the big thing that we're worried about. And I said to her, why don't we pray that God would cover the price of our home? Bold prayer. So we prayed. We said, Lord, if you're in this thing, you are going to cover the cost of our rent. Fast forward a day. He had a call from a friend. And he says to me, um, hey, you know what? The Lord's really been speaking to me lately about how I've not been faithfully tithing since... Um, we've been transitioning, looking for a new church. I've been traveling a lot with work, so we haven't really settled into a new church yet. We're kind of just attending here and there, but I have not been tithing. And the Lord's laid it on my heart that uh, for the foreseeable future, I'd like to tithe to you guys to support your ministry. And it's, you're going to be getting a transfer in the amount of X amount of dollars. And I said, you have no idea the prayer you just answered because that's almost the exact amount of our rent. And God has bit by bit been covering and meeting our needs in ways that we could have never asked for or imagined. But here's what I'm here to tell you is that there's something that happens when you're desperate. There's something that happens when you step out and know that you need God to show up and that there's no plan B other than God showing up. You begin to set up for a miracle. And I want to share with you the story about one of my favorite miracles in the Bible because it is actually paralleled with the second miracle. And we often read the stories separate of each other. But when you read the stories together, you begin to see uh, what God is actually trying to say here. Because every time Jesus performs a miracle, he not only meets a need, but he desires for, to reveal more of who he is. He wants to reveal his nature through miracles. When Jesus came to earth, he came with a twofold mission. Twofold mission. Number one was to redeem mankind, buy back mankind, take back the ground that the devil had taken through the cross. Mission number one. Number two, he came to reveal the heart of Father God. So every time Jesus performs a miracle, he begins to reveal more of who he is. Is When Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath, Jesus shows us that the Sabbath was, not, was for our benefit and not for our burden. 
That was the heart of God. That the Sabbath would not be a burden that would become legalistic, but it'd be for our benefit and for God's glory. When Jesus feeds 5,000 people, he reveals that when you give Jesus, you're nothing much. You're a little bit. You're seemingly insignificant. You're bread and a couple fish. He'll feed everyone and give you more left over than you started with. There's something in there about finances for us. That when you trust God with your nothing much, he'll take it, multiply it, bless many people with it, and then give you more back than you started with. Isn't that the truth? Yeah, Jesus came to reveal his heart. I want to read from Mark chapter 5 today. I believe it's going to be on the screen. Is it just me or is there a little ring going on here? Is there a little ring? No, we're good? Okay. All right. Mark chapter 5. I'm going to be reading from the NIV today, but any translation you have with you is a good translation as long as it says Holy Bible on the front. All right. I start at verse 21. Is it all right if I read from God's word today? All right. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he pleaded, he pleaded earnestly, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. What a desperate situation this synagogue leader comes with. It says a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. 12 years of affliction. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors who, and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. It's another desperate situation. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized the power had gone out from him, and he turned around, and the crowd asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciple answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Let me pray this morning. I want to tell this message, turning around, turning around. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for who you are. We ask that you just reveal your, uh, yourself to us, reveal your nature, reveal who you are as we enter uh, into your word this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not a fan of large crowds. I'm not a fan of large crowds. I love going to concerts, but I'm not the guy who wants to stand in line and be in the little crowd standing beside everyone else. Um, I, I want to sit on the balcony and just kind of watch from a distance. I want to I just sit and relax and enjoy the concert. I, I, I don't like crowds. Um, I recently uh, flew home two days ago, and uh, I was coming through uh, customs, and a bunch of 
large, large planes um, from international flights got in. And customs was just a nightmare. And I'm just, I'm like, I can do this. Peace be still, Lord. Like, I'm like quoting scripture. Just give, help me relax here. But you know, I, I've over the years entered into enough large crowd situations and hated it enough that I have come up with the definite ranking of crowded places that resemble more like hell than they do this earth. And, um, you know, don't quote me on this, but I think my ranking is pretty accurate. So coming at number three, definite ranking of places that resemble hell due to crowds. Number three, uh, any mall on Christmas Eve or Boxing Day? Yorkdale Mall any day of the year. (laughs) Number two, Disney World on March break. Hell on earth. It's the only time that the happiest place on earth becomes more like hell due to all the crowds. Number one, the definite ranking of places that due to crowded, crazy people and overcrowding and chaos resembles hell. Costco on a Saturday. (laughs) Stay away from Costco on a Saturday. Go Monday night at 8.45 p.m., 15 minutes before they close, in and out. That's how you do it. I'm not a fan of crowds. But here's the thing. Crowds don't go anywhere where nothing's happening. Crowds do not go to dead places. Crowds follow excitement. When something's happening, crowds follow. See, Jesus is performing miracles and word is traveling, so the crowds are following him. There's something going on. There's something happening that attracts the crowd. I love Mark chapter 2 where the man on the mat comes through the roof and they can't get him inside because of the crowds. Jesus is at work and preaching and people are hanging on to his every word. See, wherever Jesus is authentically at work, so there will be crowds. I just this person in my old church who once said to me this. He said to me, man, I'm, I'm really struggling with some of the changes. And I said, tell me about it. He says, well, the music is really loud. And I said, describe to me what that means to you. What, what does loud mean? Well, the drums are very like, it's like I'm being hit with thunder all the time when you hit that bass drum and it's rumbling and it's loud. And then you got these lights, like these colored lights and there's some haze and, uh, you know, stuff in the air and it's, it's just like this flashing and, you know, the thunder of the music. And, and then, you know, there's, uh, we've been growing and, that, and that's a good thing. I want our church to grow. Um, but, but I'm struggling because I don't know anybody's name and there's all these people that I don't recognize and all these new people and, and, and I don't know anyone's name. I don't know everybody's name. And I go, man, you are going to hate heaven. There are going to be a lot of people. You don't know their name. There's going to be a lot of roaring thunder as the angels sing glory, glory in the highest, all glory to God who sits on the throne. I'm telling you, there's going to be some flashes of thunder because that's what the Bible says we're going to experience in heaven one day. Crowds, crowds of people, glory in the highest. See, wherever crowds go, you know something's happening. And so the crowds have now followed Jesus into this this place, and this woman arrives because, no doubt, she's heard about 
the power that takes place when Jesus shows up. See, it's not just about Jesus being some charismatic teacher. It's not just about hype. It's not just about rumors about who he is. People have seen his power at work. See, it's not programs. It's not lights. It's not great music. And it's not flashy anything that draw people. It's the power of Jesus that draws people. You want to see a church full. You want to see a Bible study full. You want to see people coming to you all the time asking for prayer. Show God at work. Allow the power of Jesus to flow through your life. And I'm telling you, crowds will show up. When God is at work, crowds show up. And so this woman, Mark, 25, Mark 5, 25, let me just read this for you. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, and she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she got worse. Can you imagine 12 years of affliction? 12 years Going to doctors, spending everything you have, and all that happens is you get worse. Many scholars who have dissected this based on um, what's said in the text and in the, the climate of the time have said that they actually believe that this woman was, was outright taken advantage of by many doctors. Many doctors said that they had the solution, but really just ripped her off for her money. And now she's in this desperate place. She's used all the remedies, all the procedures, and nothing has worked. She's exhausted every single human option she can find to deal with this affliction. And it made me wonder, how many times do we exhaust every single human option that we can find before we approach the feet of Jesus with our need? How many phone calls do we make? How many appointments do we set up? How many friends do we call? How many Facebook posts do we make before we take our issue and our affliction, our affliction to the feet of Jesus? See, Jesus is coming to us today, and I believe he's saying this to you, that he is not your final option. He's not the place you go when you've exhausted every other human option. He is not the place that you go after you've talked to your pastor or your counselor or your bank uh, rep or your doctor or whoever. Jesus ought to be the first place that we go because in Jesus is all power, all wisdom, all might, all glory. And he is able to show up in whatever situation you have. He ought to be the first place we go. Imagine if she had found Jesus earlier. And so... This woman, not only has she been searching for 12 years for an answer for affliction, but she's got the perfect storm of issues beyond her control. See, in this time, um, Gentiles, who this woman is, were very low in society. There's systemic racism. They hated Gentiles. They were deemed unclean because they were not Jews. Jews were the chosen people of God, and it actually, what, what meant to be a blessing actually turned into systemic racism. And, and she was cast aside because of her race. They were, she was deemed unclean. I read one person said that they were often referred, Gentiles were often referred to as filthy dogs. Her race put her in a dark place. 
So already her race puts her on the outside. Secondly, her issue, her affliction. She's got the issue of blood. Her medical condition was not one that was easy to talk about. This was a female issue that should have only lasted a few days, but instead lasted 12 years. And see, in this culture, when a woman was, was going through this cycle of the month and, and going through this issue, she was removed from the men. She was to be separated because they deemed what she was going through as unclean. And she was removed. She was not able to be any, near any of the priests, any of the religious people, or any of the men of the day. She was completely separated. And so not only was her race considered unclean, but her issue con- was considered unclean. And here she stands on the fringe of the crowd following Jesus, trying to get to Jesus, but she's on the outside. She's on the outside of the crowd. She can't get through the crowd to get to Jesus. And you realize quickly that her physical geography in the situation speaks to her emotional psychopathy. What she is experiencing in her mind and in her heart is representative of where she actually stands physically. On the outside, removed, unclean, undeserved, unwilling or unable to get the healing that she needs. But see, there was another person that day who needed a miracle, and his name was Jairus. And he was a religious official. I want to contrast this because the religious officials, he was a synagogue leader. They were revered. They commanded respect. They, They were at the highest of the high of society. Well, well, well respected. There were people that when you'd enter a room, when they would enter a room, you'd stand up and you'd honor them. He has a need. See, his daughter is dying, and he's desperate for a miracle. And in many ways, what he's feeling in his heart, this anxiousness, this this desperation, is the same thing that this woman is feeling, but his situation is different. See, on the way to Jesus agreeing to go visit his daughter, who's sick and dying, she's 12 years old. He's on his way to go rescue a 12-year-old girl. And in the process of going to see the 12-year-old girl, he encounters a woman who's had an affliction for 12 years. The Bible's so full of stuff that's trying to get our attention. See, when this young girl was born, this woman's issue started. Do you see that? And all of a sudden, you put it in perspective. The desperation both of these people are experiencing in this moment. But they approach Jesus quite differently, don't they? The way that they approach the presence and the person of Jesus is quite different. Once you catch this, because Jesus is about to show his heart for the accepted and the rejected. See, the religious leader, he walks right up to Jesus and asks for exactly what he needs. Desperate. Let me go back to it. Let me read it for you, what he says. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she could be healed and live. So there's belief and faith that Jesus can heal. But there's also desperation, and he's asking Jesus, 
this is what I need done. And there's an expectation he has that Jesus is going to do it. An expectation. And this woman who sits on the outside of the crowd, hoping she can get just close enough to Jesus to sneak a healing, to just grab onto a little piece of his cloak, finds herself still on the outside. It says here in Mark, uh, in Mark 5, uh, verse 27, it says this. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I could just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. The word healed here is the Greek word sozo. Sozo doesn't mean just healed. It means saved, healed, and delivered. Salvation, physical healing, spiritual freedom. It's threefold. This is not just about an affliction, not just about an issue. This is about somebody's eternity and somebody's soul. Because you realize what she is standing in right now, on the outside of the crowd, actually speaks to where her heart is. Feeling on the outside. Feeling on the outskirts of society. Feeling on the outskirts of the presence of Jesus. Feeling not in the same place that all these other people feel as they're crowding around Jesus. Not feeling in the same place that the synagogue leader is. She's on the outside. Gripped by sickness. But here's what's most important. She's gripped by shame. She's not only just gripped by this affliction. She's gripped by the shame of who she is and what's happened to her. And that's why she's on the outside. She doesn't feel worthy. And see, I believe in this situation, Jesus wants to speak to much more than just a need. He wants to speak to who she is and how she sees herself. See, shame has a way of keeping you on the outside, doesn't it? Shame is this ugly, ugly, ugly thing that keeps us on the outside. Shame will keep you from coming to church. Shame will keep you from hanging around your friends. Shame will keep you from your small group. Shame will keep you from serving. Shame will keep you from getting on a stage or getting up in a small group to speak up. Shame will constantly lie to you and say that because of your affliction and because of what's happened to you or because of what you've done to yourself... You are suddenly not worthy of being in the proximity directly of Jesus. So what shame does is shame takes the back seat. Shame takes the outside look. Shame says, I'll just stay home and I'll get the podcast. Don't lie to me. You never listen to the podcast. <laughs> Maybe at this church because Pastor John is excellent. Can we remove this part from the podcast in case he listens to that? Shame will get you to stay behind. Shame will say maybe next week. She's gripped by shame. That's the issue at work here. See, when our stuff, our ugly stuff, or our issues stay in the dark and stay hidden, shame takes over. Shame only has power that you give it. Shame only has power when things are hidden. Shame only has power when they're not in the light. 
And that's what the enemy does to keep you on the outside. She couldn't let anyone know about this issue, so she hides in shame. And a religious leader walks right up to Jesus. And this woman tries to sneak a healing because of her shame. Of course, she's thinking Jesus would, of course, want to heal this religious man's daughter. Of course he would want to show up in this situation. He's a synagogue leader. He is holy. He is righteous. He's a chosen people. But she's probably thinking, for me, me, I'm a Gentile. I'm rejected. And I've got this issue. It's awkward. It's, it's not fun. It's, it's terrible. Why would God want to heal me? I get it for him. And I get it for that person. But why me? Why me? See, sometimes the biggest roadblock from freedom in our own lives, as ourselves. Sometimes the lies we believe about ourselves or the lies that shame tells us about ourselves keep us from grabbing hold of the miracle that Jesus has for your life. So we've got to change our mindset. I love when the Bible says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because if you could change the way you think, They'll change the way you live. We gotta change the way we see things. <laughs> Shame has a funny way of making you feel unworthy. Has a way of making you feel like Jesus would want to heal that person, but not you. And here's the thing that I find most often. We believe God can heal. Absolutely we do. We believe God can miraculously heal today. My wife and I have a friend who is, was supposed to be passed away about a year ago from a brain tumor. She is here today, fully healed, no cancer. She had her wedding anyways, knowing that in six months, they're going to have six months of marriage and she was going to be gone. But in a last weekend away, she came to a young adults conference we had. And we laid hands on her and we prayed, cancer, be gone. Tumor, be gone. And guess what it left? And she's here today and she's healthy and the scans are still clear. See, we believe God can heal. We hear stories and testimony and go, amen. I don't think that's a lie. I think that's true. I believe that to be true. And that's awesome for that person. That's awesome for her. We believe he can I don't know if we always believe that he wants to. Or maybe we believe he wants to. But just not us. Because we immediately go down and start listing all the ways in which we're unworthy. My sin. My secrets. My greed, my pride, this and that, the things that are known about me and the things that aren't. But guess what? Jesus comes to us with a giant eraser and says, all that was washed away when I hung on the cross. None of that is applicable to this situation anymore. 
but we allow ourselves to stay on the outside, away from where Christ can move. So we find ourselves sometimes bold, or sometimes approaching his throne with fear, with a maybe. Maybe he, maybe. The Bible says there's no condemnation, condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's no shame. So this woman, she pushes through the crowd and touches the outside of Jesus' robe. Here's the thing I've realized. The closer proximity you get to the presence of Jesus, the more, the greater the opportunity for a miracle. And instantly she's healed. But then something unique happens after this miracle. And I want you to get this today. It says this. At once Jesus realized power had gone out for him, from him. And he turned around and asked the crowd, who touched my clothes? Here's the thing I know about Jesus. He does not ask questions he doesn't know the answer to. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He knows the answer. He knows who touched his clothes. It's like, it's like anyone with young kids, um, you know, if there's like a broken lamp in the home and you know that your, your kids were throwing a ball around, and you bring the lamp and you go, um, who broke this lamp? Does anyone know who broke this lamp? You know the answer to who broke the lamp. You're just giving them an opportunity to be part of it. I love that God doesn't test us. He proves his faithfulness to us because he already knows how we're going to respond. See, when God is testing us, he's not testing you to see if you will be faithful to him or not. He's testing you to reveal his faithfulness to you so you can get a revelation of who he is. He doesn't test you to punish you. That's not our God. That's not our great, that's not our God. It's not how he is. That's not in his nature. Jesus says, who touched me? And the disciples respond, um, <laughs> you see all these people crowding against you and the disciples, and yet you can ask who touched you. Like They're going, Jesus, um, it, not to be weird, but everybody's touching you right now. This is like a petting zoo right now. Everybody is touching you and brushing up against you. It's a little awkward. And, and you're asking, who touched me? See, this moment is not a revelation for Jesus. It's a revelation for this woman. He's about to reveal something to this woman that she did not previously know. It says he turned around. He turns his face towards the woman. And she's there trembling with fear, gripped by shame. I'm thinking, I'm about to be exposed. It's all over now. I'm about to be stoned because that's what was required for her breaking that law. When she had the issue of blood, she was required by law to be stoned. And Jesus, though she ran up and touched his backside, he, she touched the cloak, of the, the, the uh, fringe of his robe. Though she touched his back, he turns around to look at her in the face to reveal something about his nature. See, in the Bible, every time God would turn his face away from something, it was a sign of disapproval. 
When God had to turn his face away from Israel, it was because they would not obey his commands and they were living rampant in sin. And because Jesus had not come yet to be the go-between of salvation, God had to turn his face away from the sin because God could not handle anything that was not perfect. But what happens in this situation? When Jesus, when God turns his face towards something, it shows approval. And so Jesus turning his face towards the woman, is saying to her in this moment, I know that I healed you, and I know that you touched me, but I don't desire for you just to see my backside. I desire you to look upon my face, because in my face there is healing, in my face there is grace, in my face there is acceptance, and there is provision for even you. See, Jesus wants her to know that he healed her, And he didn't regret it. He didn't want her just to catch the backside of who he was. Jesus wanted this woman to experience the fullness of who he was in the face of Jesus. Not only am I able to heal you, Jesus is saying by this, but I want to heal you. You didn't have to sneak something from me. I would have willingly healed you. And now I want to have this moment with you where, you can, where I can say, woman, this is what he says to her. He doesn't say woman. He says, daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you. It's a term of acceptance. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Now go in peace. Go free of shame. Go free of condemnation. Don't live on the outside anymore. And be freed from your suffering. Be freed of the affliction of your disease. Be freed of the weight of suffering or of shame. Be freed of the weight of condemnation and live in complete freedom. Saved, healed, delivered. Our God does all three. He is still forgiving sins. He is still healing the broken and he is still setting us free from the chains that the enemy would want to wrap you in. But my question is for you today church, do you believe that you're worthy of it? Do you believe that not only can God set you free, but he wants to set you free? Do you believe that not only can God heal you, but he wants to heal you? Not only can God do a miracle in your financial situation, but he desperately wants to. Do you know that in heaven, first of all, when Jesus said this is how we're supposed to pray, we're supposed to pray on earth as it is in heaven. He gives us a lens for how we're supposed to ask for things. When we're here on earth, we ought to ask for things like it's in heaven. Well, guess what? There's no cancer in heaven. There's no divorce in heaven. There's only restored relationships. There's no fear in heaven. There's no depression in heaven. There's no anxiety in heaven. And guess what? In heaven, when you need to pay a bill, there is so much wealth and so much finance and so much provision that they had so much left over that they had to say, you know what? I don't know what to do with all this money and all this gold. Let's pave the streets with it. When you need to pay a bill in heaven, you walk outside and you grab a brick out of your driveway. That's how we ought to live. That's the potential God wants for our lives. We ought to pray on earth as it is in heaven, but also believe that we're worthy of it too. You are worthy of it today. He is. You are the one he loves You are the one he died for. And if he would go to the cross for you, 
how much more would he want to heal you of your affliction today? How much more would he want to set you free? How much more would he want to restore what's broken in you? If he was willing to bear a cross, certainly he's willing to show up this morning in this place. <laughs> Some of you have hidden shame and fear too long. Fear of being exposed. Fear of God not showing up because of your stuff. Guess what? I got stuff too. We all got stuff. My stuff's not any less than your stuff, and your stuff's not any more than mine or any less than mine. God does not have a stuff measurement, a junk measurement system. Jesus says, I can set you free of even the greatest affliction, even the darkest secret, even the darkest addiction today. And I want to look upon, I want you to look upon my face as I do it. That's the God we serve. He can and he wants to move in your life this morning, church. He's here, he can and he wants to move in your life this morning. Now will you boldly approach his throne? You can come to his feet with confidence. You don't have to live on the outside. You don't have to be in the fringe. You don't have to sit in the back row. You don't have to watch from a distance. But you can come boldly to his throne this morning. I want to pray, and I'm going to close the service today. Um, one of the things I'm really passionate about, and uh, it's actually one of the only reasons I do music, is the opportunity to minister to people. I'm going to invite you to come forward this morning. If you need healing for anything, emotional, spiritual, physical, um, I want to pray with you this morning. But if you're here and you're going, God, what are you saying to me today? What... I need to hear from you, Lord. I'd love the opportunity to speak over you this morning. Speak prophetically about what God would want to do in your life and what he's saying to you. Because sometimes our shame is the filter in which we view what God's saying to us. Sometimes we allow that stand in the way of what God wants to say. When God speaks to you, it's never to expose you. It's never to shame you. It's always to call out the best in you. That's how good our God is. So let me pray for you this morning, and I'm gonna close the service, and I'm gonna invite you to come forward for prayer. We're gonna see what God does. We're gonna see some amazing stuff take place. I believe we're gonna see some miracles happen this morning. Do you believe it? Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this body of believers who are here. And God, I thank you that you've released us from shame, that you've released us from being on the outside, that you call us into the inner circle, Lord, that you call us to look upon your face. God, I pray this morning that we would see um, brokenness healed, we'd see medical issues healed, we'd see financial strain healed, and God, that you would speak some new promises over us this morning. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. Thank you for having me this morning. It's an honor to um, be able to share God's word with you. And uh, I'm gonna close the service officially, but next week, 10.30 a.m., right back here, I'm not sure if Pastor John will be back or not, but next Sunday morning, I hope to see you guys here. And again, we'll be available for prayer at the, at the front if you'd like to come forward. You can boldly approach us from this morning. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening to the Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life, and we want to hear about it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westernroadchurch.com. 
Thanks again for joining us. We hope listening to this week's message has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.